0: Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders, brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago.
1: Thank you for joining us again for the second part of the Bridging Chicago podcast with Sarah Spunt of Lyft Chicago. And Sarah is their recently uh, promoted executive director leading the Chicago team of the Lyft National Organization. So. We're really honored to have Sarah uh, here with us again today. And again, if you didn't get to listen to part one, make sure you do that because she shared some great insight and some great action items for everyone um, to consider in that. So be sure you listen to part one. But Sarah, thank you for joining us again. And uh, I want to kick this part of the episode off with talking about the families a little bit. Can you share with us for the the families that Mm -hmm. you see come through the program? are they generally two, like a mom and a dad family? Are they two parent families or are are they just all over the board with, uh, with guardianship? Um, but can you tell us, do you typically see like mom and dad uh, families there?
0: We, yeah, we see a wide variety of families um, that we serve um, here in Chicago. Some of them are, are single moms, some are single dads. We have some two parent households. We have, um same sex couples um we have grandparents raising grandkids, we have foster parents we have parents who are working on reunification um through the d c f s system to um have custody of their children back um so it is a wide variety of people that we serve. The majority of people who participate in our program are um moms, particularly moms who identify black african american um but we serve um all families in the city of chicago and all parents in the city of chicago just our our office is based um in the Bro- greater brownsville um uh, neighborhood and so majority of people who um uh, live in the communities that we serve identify black african
1: okay and let's talk a little bit about the women of these communities because mm-hmm. obviously we're we're ending women's history month here and we've been able to connect with so many great women leaders and and women listeners even throughout this time. And so uh, I'd like for you to share a little bit about the the ladies that, that you've seen come through the program, and especially if you can share with us about their tenacity and their fight for their families and what it's like when you get to talk to a woman who is really just out there doing the work to fight for her family and to make sure that they're taken care of.
0: Yeah. Um well like I said, uh 85% of the people that we serve are are women and um they have big dreams for, for their families and I think um the best way to describe tenacity of the people that we serve is through a, a story about one of our parents um and I have permission to share this story but there is a um Parent that we work with, her name is Sharice, um, and she is a uh, runs a home-based um, childcare facility. So she is um, a foster parent, um, raising a three-year-old foster son in the process of adoption, and uh, is in addition to running her site-based program, also working on her uh, masters in um, education so she can provide more help high-quality child care and education to the um, children who are in her home-based program. And she has the goal of opening up her own site-based daycare facility as well. Um, as many uh, child care providers, she had to close her doors last March and April, um, which really uh, was a cross point for her because she was struggling um, economically to put uh, food on the table and pay bills and continue to chase after her um big picture goals. Um but as I mentioned in our in the la- in the part one of this episode around some of the emergency funds we gave out, Charisse was able to receive some of those emergency funds and in, in addition to um our family goal fund, um, uh, was able to make sure that she maintained um her payments for her house and car and also was able to provide um, basic needs for her family when her income was limited. And right now, she's still not at full capacity with her um, daycare facility. So she relies on some of the funds from Lyft um, that we still give out to her on a quarterly basis um, to provide uh, basic needs for her family as well. All while this was going on, she continued to um, pursue her master's degree um, and continued to um, provide the best type of childcare she could um, in her home when, um, the state allowed for her to open back up again and provide child care to frontline workers. And so it was, um, hearing her story is powerful. Um, maybe next time we can have, have her on, um, to talk to you. Cause I think she, um, obviously shares her story way better than I do. Um, but what is really important to lift is putting, um, members voices, um, Bringing them to the table. And most recently, uh, Charisse was able to um, testify at a city hearing um, on a guaranteed income pilot proposal uh, that was presented a few weeks ago. And um, just hearing her um, own her story and being able to represent um, not just her, um, but a a lot of families in Chicago in front of the city um, just shows uh, her tenacity and it's parallel to all the families that we serve
1: yeah we would definitely love to have Sharice come on and share her story because those are the stories that we feel are really impactful and that's why we love to do these interviews and talk to leaders throughout the city because for us you know sharing our platform is really the heart of what we do and getting to talk to you and getting to talk to the other leaders that we've been able to, it just shows people that there are people out there doing the work and it is good work and it is worth doing and it is hard, but it's so worth it. And I think hearing it from, from all of you is what really inspires me and I hope inspires our listeners as well. So we definitely love hearing those firsthand accounts of how these organizations are changing their lives and how they're in turn changing lives of their kids and their grandkids and so on and so forth so uh so yeah we'll try and make that happen and get her on so we can share her story i think people know even though there's not being enough done they know like women get paid less women don't have enough maternity leave and women aren't elevated Mm -hmm. to levels to leadership as much as you know like men are but are there other things that are prohibiting women from being able to to excel at their field that maybe people don't know or don't think about?
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily um, things that people don't think about, because I I think women think about them all the time. Um, And I think it it goes back to looking at um, the various responses that um, women get when they may not be passive or submissive, um, in a workplace. Um, I actually recently, uh, got into a little LinkedIn debate and I didn't know those were a thing, um, but they are, um, because I saw a post on, um, a program advertising to help women advocate better for themselves, Um, And the thing that is holding women back is their lack of self-advocacy. And I said, I actually don't think it's women not being able to advocate for themselves. I think women have, when they do advocate for themselves, they're told that they are either too assertive or too aggressive when that is not something that is shared about males who advocate for themselves or put an idea forward. I think Oftentimes, um, for women, particularly women of color, are gaslighted um, quite often in the workplace, um, and it creates um, an inner dialogue within that woman that maybe they, she, or they are the problem when that is that is not the case. Um, and I also think that a lot of people don't recognize to um, the the power of a woman who maybe isn't as vocal, but knows how to um, navigate the corporate system or this the system that um, they work with. And I, I think I come from a very unique um, and very like tunnel vision lens because I've always worked in um, the public sector, whether it's government or social, like nonprofit social services. Um, And so I've worked in a field that is predominantly women too. However, when you look at who is in executive leadership of nonprofits, it's majority white men um, and then white women, um, even though the majority of nonprofits serve people of color. And so I think that is also something to look at that this isn't just a, a corporate issue. It also is something that has um, happened in nonprofits and philanthropy as well.
1: Yeah, let's, let's zero in a little bit on the wage gap issue that are facing women and, mm-hmm. and racially diverse women especially. But can you share with us what is this wage gap issue and then maybe about what? you or what Lyft is doing to kind of help share that message and then what you'd like to see done to combat that?
0: Yeah. I mean, research shows that women make 79 cents. I think now it might be up to 81 cents um, per dollar that men make. And it goes a little bit lower um, if you are a woman of color, which is ironic because Women of color, particularly black women, are the most educated demographic in our country. They hold the most educated demographic in our country, still make the lowest wages. So I think looking at when we say, oh, if people just got more education or more credentials, no, black women are overqualified for most jobs that they have are not offered jobs that they are qualified for or looked over for promotions, even though they have all of the credentials and then some. So I think that's one thing to just point out is um, when people write job descriptions and credentials, it's arbitrary Um, in some cases. um, I think you see a big um, push for people to put um, salary ranges on job postings. And so it is clear and transparent about what this job pays for. Um, And I think you've seen some legislation, particularly here in Illinois, you can now no longer ask someone what they made at their most recent position. Um, And I think that's important because it doesn't matter what I made at my last job. It matters what I bring to the table and what I'm qualified for and what I'm worth. And if you're basing that off of an employer that underpaid me, and I recognize that, so now I am seeking employment somewhere that Canon will pay me well. It the salary offer should not be based on what I, I previously made. So I think Illinois is seeing some legislation that helps um, with that, and I think um, across the country you are seeing um, the fight for fifteen and a fifteen dollars minimum federal wage. Um, and I like some of the the critique of that is, well, teenagers don't need to be making fifteen dollars an hour. Well. Um, most people who work minimum wage are adults. <laughs> um, they are caretakers in their family, um, whether they're taking care of children or they're taking care of, um, an elder generation or both in some cases. Um, so when we think about parents and caregivers, um, often being minimum wage workers and that being $15 an hour, we're still not talking that much of a livable wage, either, right? I think we're talking $32,000 a month or a year. Sorry. Yeah, $32,000 a year if you're making $15 an hour. Um, and if you think of urban areas, that's still not a lot of money to put uh, to take care of a family. And so I think it's Lyft continues to push the conversation around like, what is actually a livable wage and what do families actually need? Um, to make it, especially in in our cities where we're in some of the highest cost of living cities across the country.
1: I have the privilege of knowing you personally. And so I also have the privilege of knowing your mom. And she is, she calls herself retired, though I don't know how retired she is all the time. But she is also a, a strong female leader. And I'm sure was a strong female influence for you in your life. Are there things in her that you saw growing up that inspired you to become the leader that you are or to, to make these paths available for other people, kind of bring people along with you up the ladder? Are there things that you recognized in her or that she taught you about how to do that?
0: Yeah, I, there's a there's a couple of times growing up that I distinctly remember and obviously when I was a teenager or younger was not too thrilled with this, but I know when we had, um, meals as a family, oftentimes her and my dad would talk about work. Right. And I was like, Oh, this is so boring. Um, but they didn't, they didn't hide some of the like struggles at work. And I just remember them talking about it and it being something that my mom valued. I was able to, um, go on a lot of take your daughter to work days with my mom as able to meet, um, the team of people that she led, um, and just hear, um, and watch her interact with people. And so were there distinct lessons where she was like, now oh, Sarah learn this? No, but it was a lot of learning by example. Um, and I think one of the most distinct moments I had was actually at her retirement party, because like you said, is she ever really tired? But when she retired from the University of Illinois at Chicago, um, she, I remember talking to some of her um, nurse directors, and them talking about um, how great of a leader she was. Um, And obviously the people listening don't know, uh, but my mom was the former chief nursing officer at UIC. And they talked about how she would be a, a a leader and a CNO that made sure that the night shift was taken care of. Um, that she was a um, leader. That if there was a big snowstorm coming, she was taking her sleeping bag to the office because she didn't know if there's going to be any hospital beds for her to spend the night in. So she needed a place to sleep because she's probably going to be at the hospital um, for a couple of days because. She wanted to make sure that her team, her nurse directors, her staff nurses were supported. And it was through things like that, that I got to witness of what it's like to show up um, for the group of people that you are leading. And it's not necessarily about being um, the loudest voice in the room um, or um, having all the answers, but it's, it's being present. Um, to help um, problem solve and troubleshoot and know that you have your team's back, um, which are are some of the lessons that I saw growing up through her.
1: And can you identify a time that you've had so far where it felt like it was harder for you to get something done or to get your voice heard because, or you felt like it may have been because you were a female whether it's in college or or in your professional life is is there a specific time where you can remember that being female really kind of made it harder for you and then what was it like for you to to say you know i'm gonna make my voice heard i'm going to push through i'm going to persevere i don't care if you like it you're going to have to listen has there been that time for you
0: Yeah, I don't know if I can um, specifically, like, it's hard for me to say, like, specifically because I was a woman that this happened, but it felt like that, which I think that's the important thing to take away from it. So where I, in, in an organization that I was prior to Lyft, um, I had a present in front of a group of um, trustees, and it was a like six month into the project that I was leading. Um, and I, some of the questions that I was asked, um, were kind of pointless and meaningless. (laughs) Um, like weren't really to deal with the project. So I was like, I don't know why I'm asking these questions. They weren't personal or inappropriate. They just had nothing to do with the work. Um, and then I was, um, told that what I wanted to do was too ambitious, that I would not get it done. Um, And I am one of those people when I'm told, um, no, or like, you can't do this. I don't know if it's um, just like innate in me or it's something that has grown, but I'm like, no, I'm kind of going to do this. And Um, For the next six months, I I proved them wrong and was not only able to um, deliver a final project um, that was meeting the goals, but had exceeding the goals. um, And it was actually invited to present at a national conference um, based on the project and the findings um, that we saw. Um, And instead of a congratulations, I got how were you invited to this conference? And so not only did I completely crush the objective and made this group of trustees look really, really good. It wasn't, there was no congratulations or wow, you did it. It was, I can't, how are you even asked to go speak at this conference now? Um, so like I said, there was. it was never like, Never anything that was said like, oh, you're a woman, you can't do this. But when I'm speaking to a a group of men, and that's how they respond, that's what I infer. So um, fortunately, um, for me, um, though, I've had a lot of female and male bosses that have supported me. Um, And I think that's a really big takeaway um, of making sure that... um, Regardless of like who you're leading, you allow um your team to be their true authentic self um and use their strengths and the skill set that they bring um, to your team instead of trying to um micromanage a process or um tell them that like your way's right, their way's wrong. Uh, because in order to be successful, like you have to rely on people's strengths um, and build cohesion um, with them. Whether it's a team of two or a team of 100, um, you need people to um, build trust and rapport with each other. And um, thankfully, I've, while I've worked in some interesting systems, I, was, I also had um, bosses um, that supported me and had my back too. Um, even when some of those comments were made.
1: Yeah, and for those who are maybe dads of daughters or in leadership positions who are leading young females, either mentoring or maybe even teachers, are there things that your dad kind of exemplified for you in your life or that you've seen since? That you can say doing this really helped me feel like I can do anything, and helped me to to really feel like I, you know, don't have those restrictions, and that I can be who I want to be, and that I can lead any group. Are there things that that you, either your dad did, or maybe that you've learned since that that you would like to pass on to those who are leading young females? Like I said, either dads of daughters, teachers, or maybe those working in mentorship mm-hmm. programs who are working with with girls growing up.
0: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that my dad did at a younger age was just um, encourage us to do whatever we wanted. Um, And both my sister and I played um, a lot of sports growing up. Uh, Like you name it, we played it. And I remember... uh, a story from when I was in middle school, um, playing middle school basketball. Um, some parent complaining because I played too aggressively, and that we were playing um, like girls basketball, um, and that I, I was playing, and my dad just like, I don't know what he said, um, but like put him in her place and being like, it's basketball. Like, what do you expect? Like, she's playing defense, and just kind of normalized. The way i was playing like i wasn't playing aggressively for a girl i was playing good defense to play basketball i also grew like before there were um like female only teams i played co-ed basketball for a couple of years and i played co-ed soccer for a couple of years um because i was in a like generation change where they went from co-ed sports to female only teams too. And so, um, but I I do remember that story for just like normalizing being like, she's not aggressive for a girl or she's not playing too tough for a girl. She's playing good ball. Right. Like, and just normalizing that you like being yourself and like kind of disrupting the gender norms in that way. Um, I think is a, a story that reminds me of just, a a dad supporting their daughter, um, of like who they are and not trying to live into, um, a particular gender stereotype. I also got fouled out of a lot of games. So like, it's just kind of the reality. I was, I, I, I played tough, but it is what it is. Um, and then I think from a, like, uh, young like I don't want to say young but from like a male supervisor leading a like me like I think and we talked about our the podcast not in this series but the one we originally did with Saul like I worked closely with Saul as my boss and supervisor for um, over six years and the trust that is was there um, that he had in me Just to do my job, right? Like he uh, trusted my leadership. And if I was like, this is what I really think we need for our program, like he was like, okay, let's do it. And I have your back. Let's figure out how to build a case for it, right? Um, When I was transitioning to be more in um, an external role with Lyft, like he would sit down with me and coach me and make sure I felt prepared for any meeting that I had to go into. And sometimes like repetitively going over like pitch decks and talking points. Um, but it was a way to make sure that I um, had the confidence to go in and and, and hold a meeting um, when needed to. And then just pre- like an example of leadership, just preparing for um, the next leader at Lyft Chicago for the office, right? Like when he transitioned out without hesitation, he recommended me to national leadership in our local board. And I had the support of our local board because he allowed um, me to build relationships and trusted me to um, truly be our program leader and allowed the board to see um, the skill set that I brought to the table. So um, it's, it's not that I think people think it's like this magic, like we need like this, like, magic answer right like this very like insightful answer and it's like be human to people support people and and trust them and um that that's what Saul did for me so
1: yeah that's awesome just let them be who they are and encourage them and praise them when they do well and challenge them when you know to learn and to grow
0: and, and coach them when like, if you see something that needs coaching, like do it in a dignity, you know, like it was, I never felt patronized. I never felt that, um, being talked down to in any way, shape or form, but it was truly like coaching me and investing in me to make sure that I was set up for success. Um, my success was his success and that's, that's crucial. And that's what allowed for a smooth transition and what allowed for us to do um, be able to do well and maintain um, high quality program while like bringing in new supporters during this past year and during a transition, because if he didn't set me up for that, it would be a completely different type of transition um, and not have gone as smooth or positively.
1: Well, Sarah, we, we really appreciate your time. I'm so thankful that you joined us today. And I know that um, there's so much going on and, you know, time is our greatest resource. And so we, we definitely appreciate you giving it to us and, and giving us these insights. And um, again, just really quickly, if you can share with us how people can connect with Lift Chicago and, uh, and even with you.
0: Yeah. So our, our website for the organization uh, across the country is why we lift.org. and you can follow us on all social at, which is at lift communities. Um, and the other thing is you can email me at um, Chicago at why we as well. If you want to get directly in contact with Chicago. Great. Well,
1: again, thanks. For,
0: thanks for having yes, me. Nathan. Thanks
1: so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. And, Of course, we appreciate our listeners. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast so that you get all the episodes when they're released. And uh, we will see you again shortly. And we will continue to be a platform for all people where no matter who you are, how you identify, this is a space for you and a space for you to learn and grow and share your story. So we're so thankful for all of our guests who have done that so far and the ones that we'll have. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center.